Welcome to another Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. As we often talk about on this show, the cancer maze is particularly complex. And today the maze is made even more complex by non-medically trained people, often patients, recovered or not, who are self-appointed experts on the way to cure cancer, as they see it. They often present a smorgasbord of options and treatments that look very appealing. But the question begs, what qualifies a person to give advice to people who are dealing with a life-challenging illness? And what or who is responsible for the current tsunami of would-be cancer healers peddling ideas for cures? Dr Julie Cruz sees the issue beyond medicine. It is a business ethics issue because cancer patients are buying a commodity, maybe a book, a product or a method that's being promoted as a cure. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Ethical standards apply to health professionals, researchers, pharmacists, etc. But there are no ethical guidelines for this new breed of healer. Dr. Cruz takes her view from qualifications and studies in business ethics, where she has a PhD, as well as from watching many of her own friends go through the cancer experience. Now, you can read more about Dr. Julie Cruz on our guest page on Voice America, where you access this show. And now I'd like to say welcome once again to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Dr. Julie Cruz. Great for inviting me on this show. It's a pleasure, Julie. It's great to have you back. Now, let's dive right into today's topic. Uh, you were involved in a recent article in the Australian press titled More Hype Than Hope. Can you tell our listeners about that article, its importance, and what actually prompted you to take that action? Well, as you know, Grace, I've had a long term interest in the ethics of this field. And I, in regards to that article, I originally wrote a much longer feature for an academic forum uh, that's published daily here in Western Australia. And meanwhile, I, I thought, oh, well, I'll just see, you know, if there's any interest with uh, the newspaper. So I contacted the health editor with the original article, and they got back to me very quickly, and they were interested, and they decided to do a feature of the article in the Saturday paper. Um, and as it turned out, I was happy that it featured in this paper because it then reaches far more people in the community than academic forums. And I think um, issues around the ethics of health need to have a wider audience than just amongst academics. Um, and I think really what prompted me is I think awareness needs to be raised in this area and education is vital. Um, and no more so than in the electronic age in which we live. So, and finally, really, I mean, the issue does affect people from all walks of life, and so we need to get really the message out there and get some debate going and some authentic uh, truth coming out. Fantastic. Um, I will be posting a link to that particular article on my blog, which is gracegawlermedia.com. And if anyone wants to have a look at that article, which is absolutely excellent, um, I'd recommend it. Do go and um, and have a look because Julie's contribution there, I, th I think, is quite substantial. So, Julie, my next question is a big one. Social media. What's the role that you believe it's taking in this relatively new way of communicating with each other? And in particular, the upside and the downside insofar as transmission of health information goes. 
um, and particularly social media and cancer cures? Yes, well, we're certainly living in a fast-moving electronic age and uh, the social media, as we know, comes in so many forms and it's really challenging just keeping up with it all. And there's even apps now, as probably most of the listeners would know, that you can download onto your mobile phone. So that becomes a tool to communicate. I mean, as an educator, um, social media is really important. Um, I mean, you've got to keep up with particularly Gen Y. Um, They're all very savvy when it comes to that sort of communication. And so really, in, in general, social media has a big strength because it can provide a forum where anyone, anywhere, anytime can be connected. And I think this is a really positive thing. Um, and they can be valuable because they can distribute information from a wi- for a wide audience. And um, just yesterday I farewelled a friend uh, who set up a blog uh, so her friends and family can keep up you know, where they are in the world and everyone at home can view their adventures. So that's just one small example. And so also, too, I think social media has had the effect of shrinking the world because many families uh, live all over the world and it's through social media tools that allows us to keep in touch and, you know, shrink the distance between us, as, as it were. But um, it also provides a forum for very important debates and I think this one uh, in health is very much uh, uh, needs to be debated. But then if you look at the downside, I guess, um, some of the strengths of the electronic age can also be the weaknesses. And if you look at the social media tools, it, it allows an individual or a group to present as anyone they wish. Um, they can create a presence in the social media and it can be based on total fiction. Um, and I think that is a real concern. And it allows people to present only what they wish others to know or see about them and their lives. I mean, let's face it, one tool, for example, Facebook, you know, there's, um, you know, quite harmless really, but people have to be educated that what you put online is out there forever, and if you're making statements and claims, uh, you need to be very careful about who you may be influencing by doing that. And if we look at the most serious things, there are examples of a criminal, for example, who share and link worldwide uh, via the electronic media. And, you know, that's the darker side. So really, I guess the, the key question here is, so what does this mean for those seeking information, especially about health matters? And the key point I wish to make here is everyone can have opinions. We all do have opinions. But this doesn't necessarily equate with facts about something. So if we're looking at the area of facing a life-threatening disease, such as cancer, facts matter. They matter greatly. And... So the consequences can be very serious indeed if people are only relying on the opinions in the social media for information about the the management of their disease, for instance. So I think um, navigating this social media maze requires a high level of literacy and as individuals we need to approach what people are saying on this uh, forum with absolute caution and just not accept the place of values that what they are saying or who they say they are is necessarily authentic. Uh, and I know it's difficult, but trusting someone you've never met is a high-risk activity. And there's been many examples of that where people have been caught out. Um, uh, you know, trusting someone online, they've been wonderful. They're promoting something that 
you can identify with and believe in, but it might not be true. So, um, mm. I beware, I guess. <laughs> Julie, I think that's one of the most succinct and uh, sensible comments that I've actually heard from uh, anybody about the use of social media, particularly in this in this context. So I thank you very much for that because I think that will make a lot of people really think uh, what they're doing in particular to healthcare uh, when they're using social media. Now you've mentioned uh, your friend who uh, is going away and it's all very nice, you know, they've got their newsy little blog, but what about the number of growing cancer patient blogs that really present like a smorgasbord of information to fellow patients as well as often advice? From an ethical viewpoint, which is your speciality, um, what ethical advice do you have for cancer patients specifically who are advising patients or presenting many options to other cancer patients? This is an absolute minefield, um, Grace. I can barely keep up. I mean, this is a personal interest of mine. My mainstream is business ethics and governance, but these things apply even more crucially to the area of ethics and health. And it is a personal interest of mine, and I can barely keep up with the latest blog or cancer patient blog specifically that pops up on this, um, you know, worldwide web. I think, firstly, what's really, really important to get across to the listeners is the individual cancer experience, and and um, that is, you know, it. Every person's experience is different. Is very, very different from being a cancer expert. But somehow these two things get morphed into a person who's had an experience with cancer and then that morphs into them being an expert to a device. And so I think there's, a, there's a, a difference here that I'll point out. But a blog, for example, that documents a person's cancer story, you know, how they feel about it and its effect it's had on family, their life and all of those other things, I think can bring wonderful benefits for many readers who may have been going through the same experience. So mm-hmm. it then, in essence, is an online support network. And I think this is a great thing because as the cancer experience may be a very confusing and isolating time, you know, knowing and reaching out to others who have experienced this can bring us, you know, a great deal of comfort and benefit. And I see that as a good thing about these blogs. However, there's the downside and the darker side. If these blogs, person who promotes this blog, if it morphs into something which I think is far more dangerous and moves into shaky ethical ground, is when the blog goes from the cancer story and experience to an individual on that blog or the group making claims that their survival, recovery and even cure, some use the word cure, is because they adopted some diet or particular practice. You know, they then become, I guess, for want of better expressions, the online gurus, and they advise people. And this is all done with little evidence and documented history. And what these people tend to do is cherry-pick the truth, so to speak. And that's the bit that's fuzzy and potentially dangerous if people are basing their decisions on this. And these people claim to survive, you know, through, through all sorts of... The word natural comes up a lot, but they airbrush important facts out Um, that they've had, for example, traditional medical intervention. And the downside to the medical profession is they can't verify these claims 
because of patient confidentiality and it's dangerous because they're appealing um, to and influencing vulnerable groups of people that aren't, and they're only really presenting one side and that's theirs. So that's the downside of them. Right, it's, uh, it's a good points again you bring up there. Julie, I can't believe it, but we've come to the end of our first segment on navigating the cancer maze. And uh, I'd like to invite you back shortly to continue this conversation. Uh, I think it's one that's very, very useful to any and every cancer patient and family who's listening today. So don't go away. We'll be back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze with Dr. Julie Cruz. And welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today we're talking with Dr. Julie Cruz about the importance of the truth in healing. So, uh, Julie, we finished on the note of vulnerable people as cancer patients are when their needs are so great they have a life-challenging illness. Many cancer entrepreneurs say that everyone should have free choice and that free speech gives them the opportunity for making a choice. What are your thoughts about this statement? Well, Grace, I think the wonderful thing about being a human being is we can exercise our right to make choices for how we to live our lives. But there is some, you know, truth, and there is truth in the fact that with choices comes responsibility too. And uh, we go back to a fundamental, uh, I guess, um, principle of ethics is that the choices we made should uh, cause the minimum of harm to others. So in the, in the context of cancer, cancer entrepreneurs, uh, I believe that they have a moral obligation to tell the truth and present their claims in a transparent and responsible way because making choices uh, should be based on truthful, not deceptive information. Uh, so people seeking answers about cancer are vulnerable and it's their life and they're making choices about which is why this area is fraught with danger. Um, you know, if after receiving information, uh, that is authentic, a person then decides to adopt the practice of being promoted, then it's their right to do that, even if, for example, their medical practitioners or family has a bias against what they're considering. In the end, we have the right to refuse a particular course of action anyway, but we must take responsibility for the causes of consequences which may arise. And just to give a short example of this, um, I won't give the exact identity, but there's a woman in Australia who adopted a dietary regime as her choice to treat her breast cancer with no traditional intervention. Um, the same regime which her daughter adopted after traditional intervention to treat the cancer, the daughter is still living and surviving, but the mother has died. She chose to go totally um, against any traditional treatment. And so this is, um, she made that choice and unfortunately with tragic consequences. Uh, but, it, but at least she had all of the practitioners saying to her what the consequences could be. But um, I think as long as the information is being authentically presented and is based on evidence and truth, then yes, I do agree that we have the freedom and the right to make that choice. Unfortunately, just in research I've done, uh, this is not what is being presented. Um, I, I am aware of that particular uh, case and uh, 
It is a great shame. I see this in my own practice where uh, people come along and they had a cancer that was maybe 98% chance of being potentially cured uh, by conventional treatment. And uh, I see a lot of people at the other end who have also had that treatment many, many years ago. And it is a great shame when people uh, don't know the whole truth of a situation because it really does, as you say, influence their decisions. Um, Julie, when does just mere information and helping others via blogs and social media, when does it actually morph to something far more dangerous? In other words, what are like the warning signs? Yes. Well, a cancer story enters what I call these questionable ethical waters, uh, when, as I've alluded to before, that the individual group who use the social media and what they actually do is promote a practice or a product and these products are often dietary claims or way of life, and they present as facts with no evidence whatsoever to verify the claims. So, in essence, the claim that they are promoting is being responsible for their survival from cancer. And, and all the blogs I've researched um, in which um, the individual has had traditional medical intervention, and, and I mean by that surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, usually before they decide to adopt this alternate treatment path. They then attribute that survival or their current survival to the non-traditional treatment and they airbrush the medical profession and make very little reference to the traditional treatment they received. Um, they may not use the word cure, by the way, but by inference, lies of admission, they equate whatever they're promoting with a cure and I'll talk about the, the signs that uh, listeners can look for if they happen to be looking at some of these blogs, which uh, I think should be a red flag for them to avoid avoid the particular blog. Right. Um, I think, again, you've covered a number of points there which are, are very important. We'll go back to that so that you can give people that particular list uh, why do you think that cancer is the target for the cure? Um, there's so many unqualified people out there saying this is the cure for cancer. Uh, you know, we don't hear patients with TB claiming to cure other patients with TB. Right. Um, what, what do you think about um, this? It's sort of like a meme or a, um, a thought that's, that's viraling through a, a number of patients. That's a really interesting question, um, Grace. I think it's because the word and disease cancer evokes such strong emotions in people because it really centres on one thing that unites us as human beings and that's our mortality. Um, and I think modern science and research has um, found uh, you know, many um, wonderful uh, opportunities for people to lengthen their life. There are people that with the same form of cancer 20 years ago would have died, but today they are thriving and surviving. Um, also, the fact is many diseases um, no longer threaten our lives, you know, as I said, thanks to medical science, which is why claiming a cure for non-cancer disease perhaps isn't as powerful. And, and I'm saying that in the Western uh, context because I go with my work in developing countries and, of course, uh, they are still moving through an era where common diseases that we don't think about um, are still evident in, in their country. Um, so I, I guess as listeners think about, remember when AIDS was first surfaced, uh, it was terrifying because it was a, if 
behave, uh, you would die. That was the general thing. But now, of course, it's not a death sentence. So I think for the most part, um, people who are diagnosed with cancer and create a blog, which becomes a platform to promote their survival, is, I think, for the most part, done with good intentions. But I think, too, that there's this subconscious thinking that if someone has been really sick, then they also must be an honourable person who would have deceived people with cancer. And this isn't necessarily true. Um, you know, good people get cancer and so do less than honourable people get cancer as well. Mm, there's a question here which comes up for me. Um, it's not one that we've uh, discussed before, but uh, trust too. Tr- why has trust, do you think, been lost in the scientific method and the medical profession because as we rightly say you know when AIDS came out it was a death sentence when TB was around you know it was virtually a death sentence without um, pharmaceuticals Um, when vaccines were around for polio etc there's there's been tremendous amount of life saving going on in the scientific and medical community and yet in the public perception there's a lack of trust what do you think that's about? Well, that's, that's a very difficult question to answer, I think. I think it's fair to say that the medical profession, by the very nature, is conservative. So, you know, they don't uh, make explicit claims. You know, when there's a discovery, mm. a scientific discovery, they're very cautious about um, what promise it may offer people. And I think... What's blurred here is in the electronic media, as I said earlier in the interview, that there's a lot of opinion and sometimes people, people's thinking is distorted and influenced by thinking, um, by listening to opinions and opinions aren't facts. And I think probably, um, you know, the medical profession err on the side of caution and they don't react in a knee-jerk fashion all of this opinion that's milling around and and I, and that in itself may arouse some some uh, decrease of trust but unfortunately the media also have a responsibility here they tend to report on the extreme cases of for example medical malpractice or something that's gone wrong uh, rather than something that's gone right and that may add to this uh, uh, you know, decrease in trust. Um, you know, the medical profession, they're not gods, but, you know, I think like most people, they enter professions for good intentions and for the greater good, common good of man. Mm. And they do have a, uh, as you say, a, a medical ethics charter, um, which also dictates what they can say and do. Um we're going to uh, take a break just shortly now on Navigating the Maze. We're almost up with our time for this segment too. And when we come back, we're going to look at the questions that the cancer consumer needs to be asking and why they need to be asking that. And I think we'll come back and visit uh, this kind of anti-medical uh, establishment argument here because that's another one that's very important for people to start thinking about why they're thinking what they're thinking and and how they're actually influenced 
by the thoughts of other people that they may read on the internet. So we're going to take our break now on Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're going to be back very shortly again with Dr. Julie Cruz. Don't go away. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze for our next session with Dr. Julie Cruz. Now, Julie, um, what questions should the cancer consumer be asking and why should they be asking those questions? This is a really fundamentally important area, Grace, and I think um, the first thing is is that um, people looking at these blogs or information that have been, that's been put out there about cures for cancer or whatever, however they're framing it, I think um, the first thing is to say is not to take these as at face value, to look beyond the surface of what's being said. And the first question for consumers is to look and, and listen carefully to what the person is writing and saying and promoting. A lot of the language that these people use and the claims that they're making are couched in very fluffy terms. It's sort of like sitting in a bowl of spaghetti. You think, oh, it's sort of got a kind of a positive ring about it, but it's not making sense. So you've really got to look at that. You know, is one of the things that just uh, is on most of these websites is um, a big one is they put down their cancer as a lectin, you know, as though cancer is some um, thinking, moving human being that decides to plant itself specifically into this person because they need to learn a lesson. Mm, that's true. Well, we know that cancer has no boundaries and doesn't discriminate against anyone, whether no matter what country, class, gender, and it affects good people who lead healthy lives. I'm sure the listeners can think about friends or family members or colleagues who appeared to have, you know, a reasonable life. You know, they were happy, they had lovely careers, they had a good diet, they didn't have a gene pool that suggested they were going to get a disease, and yet, bang, they get diagnosed with cancer. Now, um, they just, it, it, who knows why, if we knew that answer, we wouldn't have been having that conversation. Mm. So that's a big one, you know, their cancer is a lesson, you know. Um, you need to really look at the background to the person making these claims. What are their qualifications? Um, are they traditional qualifications that have been acquired at a university or is it some institute that they're putting up there um, uh, that you know doesn't come up when you Google it on the web? Uh, what are their qualifications? I read one just the other day that said world-renowned, uh, and I forget what the title of this person was, but what do they mean, world-renowned, as you know, says who? Um, <laughs> just amongst their peers, I imagine. Mm. So if they and, and of course, an absolute dead giveaway and a red flag, if they're promoting products which cost a lot of money and they are receiving a kickback, even if they say, oh, look, you know, if you buy this product or go on this course, uh, then I receive a kickback. But, of course, I wouldn't um, be promoting anything I didn't believe in. Well, this brings in whole ethical issues to do with conflicts of interest. And, indeed, you know, do they have shares in the company that they're promoting? You know, so another key point, too, is the bigger the empire, the more these people have got to lose, and some of them have got huge empires. Um, so got to look carefully. What do these people do when questions and challenges are put before them about what they promote. Because 
the more they've invested in the promotion, the more they have to lose. And they will fight very hard to discredit anyone who disagrees with them. And it becomes almost like a game of passive aggressors. Mm-hmm. So you ask genuine questions in a professional way, and I've sent emails and placed questions on their site, and they have followers. It's almost like a cult. They have followers, and they airbrush out anybody that is going to stick even after questions. So you need to look at that carefully, how they manage um, anyone who does go against what they're saying. Yeah, good one. Uh, yes, that's right. And check out what, what they do if someone posts something that doesn't maintain the image they're promoting. Um, I've had comments taken off because that didn't fit in with uh, the image that they're promoting. So much for free speech. <laughs> Sorry? So much for free speech. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, I've emailed uh, some and asked questions about the sorts of things I'm presenting in this statement and see what response you get. You might get no response. Um, you know, ask them what they're guaranteeing, what they're presenting, and the chances are they won't be guaranteeing anything. Um, now, if they do speak of medical doctors um, at all, they may use terms which you think, well, what sort of doctor is that? They may use things like intuitive practitioner, integrative practitioner, um, the thing is, you only get their version of the disease, and they'll tell you that they're having. That, that, what the thing is, they want to be very public about this journey, and and they become a public figure as such. But then they don't want to really reveal parts of their story, which may be a better balance for the for the reader or the listener. So it, it's very interesting. So these are some basic things. It's like um, any consumer issue. You know, consumer beware, ask questions, don't assume what they're saying is the truth. I know that sounds really fundamental, but people don't question these people. They think, oh, it must be true because they said it and it's up there. Well, it may not be. That's uh, terrific, Julie. What I'd like to do with um, those responses that you've just made is to actually list them. I'll put them up on the grayschoolermedia.com blog with your permission because... I think it's a very good checklist and people could perhaps print that off and um, use it from time to time just as a reminder. That would be terrific. Thank you. Um, Why do you believe the situation's been uh, allowed to go under the radar for so long with um, this sort of cancer entrepreneurship? It's it's spawning quite a lot and uh, I just noticed there's new ones popping up almost daily. Um, and, but yet it's for some time it's been going on. Why? Yes. Well, I mean, I've challenged the listeners just to uh, Google uh, cures for cancer and there will be thousands of hits. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't specifically go into things promoted, but honestly there's some really, really strange ones out there. Um, and I think it's not so much that there haven't always been people like this. There's always people who are willing to deceive others and I think what the difference is though, electronic age has created far more opportunities than, than in the past for individuals to tell their stories, promote their beliefs about many areas of life and of course this includes the area of health. So I think these forums have facilitated much more discussion and awareness. Um, you know, but it's still a mystery to me though, Grace, that we have very strong consumer laws and regulations around what people can and cannot promote about products and services and yet in terms of this whole area 
maybe this is because there's a belief that government should not interfere in people's personal health choices. Um, it's true that we can't really legislate for morality, and the law is a very blunt instrument indeed. You know, we can't have every eventuality a law to cover it. However, I think uh, in the area of health, we hear, unfortunately, the tragedy of people who've gone down these alternative paths um, exclusively and have died. And um, it's too late then. And, and unfortunately, we only hear about it when the media picks up on the story. And just as an example, to illustrate my point, I read the coroner's report of a woman in Australia who died after adopting an alternative regime uh, which clearly didn't place her cancer under control. So by the time she had surgery, it was too late and she died. Um, and the person that was she was having consultations with, uh, it was re recommended that uh, she be banned from doing anything and prosecuted, but that ha has never happened. I would suggest if the doctor had made an error, they would be up on uh, criminal charges or, you know, and and be held account, you know, accountable. I mean, Steve Jobs, a very public figure, uh, the late Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, is another example. But there are many, many more, unfortunately, too many. Yes, indeed. And um, that brings up the next question I have for you, actually. Um, and it's returning a little bit to the, um, the anti-medical establishment issue. Um, a lot of people get very upset about big pharma. Um, the medical science uh, is not working for us. Medical science wants to keep patients sick. Um, they don't want to find a cure. It's all a conspiracy. Are words that I often hear, and I live in a very um, conservative area actually, and I'm often surprised by the number of people who tell me um, this in response to knowing the work that I do. It's something they immediately launch into. And um, some of those people I'd consider to be quite intelligent. Um, what have you got to say about that claim specifically? Again, it's like a, a virus. It's uh, around the world. Yeah, this is a really worrying trend, but um, what I've asked the business to focus on carefully on the claims of these people is, you know, it's, it's an either-or, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, and it's their arguments are couched, as I said, in either-or or extreme. There's no middle ground here, and I don't think that's very constructive. So, so this, these kinds of either-or arguments swim around. So you've got the, you know, good guy, bad guy. So the conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, this gives their claim oxygen, as it were. But, but that's that's all they are. They claim, you know, it's a little bit about, you know, trying to find the Loch Ness Monster. Well, we haven't actually, they claim to have cited it, but we haven't actually caught it yet, have we? Mm. You know, or UFOs or life on other planets. There's not the evidence to, um, you know, have, so it's not disputed. One, I guess, it does um, uh, sit on too is natural versus dangerous chemicals. And the the underlying thing here is natural equals good, whereas you know the pharmaceutical companies are producing something that's bad for us. So we know that natural doesn't mean no harm can be done, and I think this is one of the biggest myths and why when people are having traditional therapy, they often fail to describe 
disclose the natural things that they are taking and consuming in the belief that it's okay. And it may not be okay. It may be, you know, having um, dangerous effects on the traditional drug therapies that they are having with their specialists. Fantastic, Julie. I'm just going to have to stop you there. We're just going to have to come up to a break and I'd like to come back and just take up where we've left off here um, because we're on a bit of a, a bit of a roll with this. So uh, don't go away. We'll be back, folks, shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze with this really interesting conversation with Dr. Julie Cruz. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I hope you had time to go and get yourself a cup of tea and listen on to this very interesting conversation we're having today with Dr. Julie Cruz. Uh, Julie, can we um, sort of get back to where we left off? You were talking about natural doesn't necessarily mean good and the medical establishment. Would you like to pick up there where we left off? Um, Look, I'm not, Grace, I'm not saying the medical establishment is all good. They're not. Um, Like all professions, uh, there are people within it that uh, don't live up to the high standards uh, that they should. But let's sort of think about it on a fundamental level. Who would devote their life to training to be a specialist in the area of cancer treatment? Uh, For example, an oncologist uh, would have to do a medical degree, um, do some training after that, at least 12 years. And, And then, after doing all of that, actually withhold treatment which they may which may benefit a patient. It's it's just simply bizarre, to say the least. And the other thing, too, is we we also have to remember that medical practitioners are in the general community. They have families and friends, and some of them are diagnosed with cancer. Why would they withhold treatment and knowledge that could um, save a loved one? It just simply doesn't make sense to me. And, of course, if we look at pharmaceutical companies, yes, some of those have been questionable. They're very powerful institutions. But the other thing is there are a lot of standards and regulations and laws pertaining to their activities. So, for example, a new drug has to undergo incredible scrutiny over many years before it can even be prescribed to humans. There's a lot of government intervention in what drugs get to market and what don't. Um, there, there's also been much more accountability put in place with regulations in terms of the relationship between pharmaceutical companies and the medical profession. Um, the medical uh, profession are less likely now to be influenced uh, by endorsements and gifts and things like that. That um, comes down to the individual morality of the practitioner uh, not to be influenced by what they're being offered as a gift as opposed to the knowledge and treatment of the drug. So, I would suggest if a company had the cure drug, just look at a company, a pharmaceutical company from a business perspective, if they had a cure drug for cancer, I can't imagine they would withhold it. Why would a business withhold something that would make a highly lucrative profit for them? Um, you know, so, I mean, let's look at something not to do with cancer. Imagine if the drug company had a pill we could take each day which would allow us to eat and drink all we like without gaining weight. Uh, the public would want that, so, but they don't want, uh, you know, they're suggesting that drug companies are withholding and medical practitioners are withholding knowledge and drugs that can help cancer and curing of cancer. So just a couple of points on that. <laughs> 
Yes, I, I think there's a couple of very good points actually in there, um, very logical points. Um, I'd just like you to briefly uh, speak to the profile of a self-appointed cancer entrepreneur. What drives people with no qualifications to believe that they have the answer to curing cancer when some of the world's best scientific minds have failed to do so? Well, Grace, I don't think there's much difference between the cancer entrepreneur and the immoral business operator. They are actually in the business of deceiving people and making money out of that deceit. Simple as that. And they promote an an answer about something, and in this case, a, a cancer cure, to hook vulnerable people in. And I think for that reason, the cancer entrepreneur is worse because what's at stake is this person's most valuable asset, which is their health. But in terms of the morality of the situation, um, I don't see I don't see a difference. And also, too, some people, you know, are driven by their ego, just like some business entrepreneurs, and they want to be, I guess, a public famous figure. So their self-interest um, certainly dominates here as well. Great. Um, just finally now, in the big picture, what do you see as a solution in the best interest of cancer patients to cancer cure claims and the cancer hype industries? And can you provide a model of ethical standards? How would they be? How could they be implemented? What are your ideas? Well, I think, Grace, the most important thing is education and raising awareness on these matters and encouraging space so people actually ask questions, examine closely the claims that are being made, and if they sound too good to be true, they probably are. And if they're asking somebody for a lot of money, what are they guaranteeing for that? Because usually they can't guarantee anything. Um, it, it astounds me the amount of money that people part with um, to some of these charlatans. They really do. Um, I'd like to see also a more responsibility taken by the media to be more investigative in their reporting of these people. They rarely challenge their claims mm. um, and they keep it at a very superficial level. So they have an obligation there. I think governments need to put in place basic regulation on the, at least on the registration of these people who are in the business of non-traditional therapies. So if claims are made, there is a body and a regulatory body that people can report to and then these claims can be challenged, just like any other claims that are made in business in consumer affairs. And I also think individuals who set up a blog need to have a, um, a standardised disclaimer that goes beyond something along the lines of it is advised you check with your medical practitioner blah 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 uh, the fact that their blog is a public tool means in my view as they should be truthful about their medical history and their treatment um, before their blog is approved um, it's very hard because they can go up pretty quickly mm. uh, also a person shouldn't be able to make claims based on the adoption of an alternative therapy if they've had traditional intervention as well I think the most they can say and claim is they remain alive from a combination of a number of treatments. Excellent, yes. Uh, instead of airbrushing it out. Um, and I think, importantly, research is needed, so a body of evidence may be built about this important area, uh, because it's thanks to research that the rate of survival for many cancers uh, has improved. And I think, finally, as a consumer, if we think about it, we wouldn't buy a new car or home without researching it and asking questions and comparing quality and prices, etc. And and what fits 
our life. So why do we do this? Uh, don't we do this with the most important asset we have, and that's our health. Yes, excellent. Um, Julie, I wonder if you could just leave our listeners today um, with something, maybe it's a, a short sentence, a story, uh, something about an experience that you've had that could really kind of last in people's minds. We've got a couple of minutes. A, a, a personal experience? Well, it could be a personal experience, but something that pertains to what we've been talking about today that has really sort of struck you and you've thought, wow, that's, that's really... Uh, quite an amazing uh, story that I've just heard there. Well, I think, um, you know, I've been researching uh, a, a lot of blogs and things, and I have, unfortunately, those that are making claims which can't be substantiated are in abundance. But every now and again, you do come across a blog that is somebody's truthful story about their uh, cancer experience and uh, there was one woman in Australia who actually did a blog about how she was faring throughout this um, experience and she did die and she wanted to put um, she wanted to actually uh, have the blog uh, so it would, she had young children and she wanted I guess for them when they grew up to be able to see the important lessons that um, was she was confronted with with her cancer and it was for dignity but it was truthful and authentic she wasn't making any claims um, she was under um, obviously uh, she's been treated but she wasn't going to survive in all likelihood and it was it was read like a diary and she had family things and it was she was actually making her she was living with cancer and she was doing it in a very positive way and I think those sorts of things Really, really good. Fantastic. Yep, that's a great note to finish on. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Um, it, it does mean a lot to me. It will mean a lot to other people who are listening to the show. And uh, perhaps we can have you back some other time to uh, continue this discussion. Thank you very much for having me, Bye for now.